0: for a moment. This year, I've kind of changed a little bit in the way that I study and and kind of do my own devotional type reading, and so uh, you might sometimes, if, you're, if you catch it, you'll see a pattern. You can almost guess where I've been studying, where I've been kind of spending time, and I'm amazed, and, and just, I'm gonna, just give me some time to, to, to kind of set the stage for, for the work of the Lord. But I'm, this year, one of the things that has been really uh, impressed upon me is, is how much the Bible shows us things and then they come to pass. I'm, I'm amazed. You can go all the way to, to the book of Abraham... Not the book of Abraham, the book of Genesis, where Abraham is in there, might help if your pastor preaches from the right Bible. But uh, if if you go to the book of Genesis and Abraham's story, now here's the Lord, and he he comes down and he says, you know, to, to Abraham, he's he's in Ur, and uh, he he says, why don't I'm pulling you out? I want you to leave, leave your family, leave everything, you know, your your extended family. I want you to get just your your immediate family, and I want you to leave. And I'll, I want you to leave there, and I'm going to bring you to a land that I'm going to promise you. Of course, we know it's the same land that the children of Israel go to in, in the book of Exodus and, and on through Joshua and Judges. But, but even all the way back then, there is a, a, if you read your Bible carefully, you will find that before a Moses comes along, before a, a Joseph is ever sold into slavery to Egypt, the Lord, before, before, uh, Lot, before, uh, yeah, before Lot does his thing, before Abraham truly walks his promise, the Lord says there will be a day where your people are going to go down into captivity for 400 years and, and then I'm going to bring them out. Now I know Abraham had no idea what he was talking about, but we see it come to pass. They're in, they're in Egypt. Uh, the Old Testament, and it's part of what we've been learning with the book of Hebrews, the Old Testament is a uh, one, one verse, one writer says it's a schoolmaster, it teaches us and it brings us to the new. You're never intended to live in the Old Testament. In fact, as I I forget which sermon it was, just recently I made mention that uh, th- there were those in the New Testament that wanted to go back to Judaism or at least a pseudo-Judaism Jew- Jewish view. They they wanted to have the Holy Ghost, they wanted to be born again, but they wanted to do all of the, the protocols that the Jewish religion uh, said. And, and so uh, Paul said it simply, he said, if you even do one of those things and it becomes a salvation issue, you have to do the whole law. We're not ever designed to live in the Old Testament, especially the law. Um, even Moses himself, when, when you really study it out, Moses himself knew that the Ten Commandments that he has was not going to fix anything. In fact, Moses gets the Ten Commandments, he comes down and they're having a drunken orgy in front of a golden calf. And he's still, I mean, they're still hot off the press, if you will. But what we find in the Old Testament are are very striking similarities to your life. Jesus, he said, you're of your father, the devil. The understanding is, is that in in our sinful state, we're in captivity. That's why Egypt is is very much a type of sin. It's a type of the old life. And and just as there was an exodus out of Egypt, there has to be an exodus out of our sinful ways into the promised land. Now our promised land is not a physical spot on a map. Our promised land is to be filled with the Spirit, to walk in the Spirit, to walk after the Spirit, and one day we'll fulfill that promise and we'll go to heaven. There's a lot of similarities there. And so I want you to give me some time to take you to the book of Judges And, and let's walk through a f- few things In the first couple of, of chapters So that we can get to the spiritual significance We'll start in the historical But we're going to get to the spiritual I don't necessarily have a, a, a text Because there's, I'm not going to read it verse by verse But we're going to go mainly through Judges chapter 1 uh, Through uh, basically the first part of Judges chapter chapter 3 Now we know that that. Moses he brings out the children of Israel let's just say there's three million that seems to be a colloquial term we don't know exactly how many there were but he brings them out of Egypt and they they go straight to uh, the, the same mount that that Abraham was going to offer Isaac on, but now it's Sinai, and there they get the law, and it was supposed to be just a a, a moment, just a brief time to get Egypt out of them, if you will. It was supposed to be a quarantine period so that they could kind of catch their breath and learn how to live together and learn how to to pitch a tent and, and how to gather food and trust the Lord, and then they were supposed to walk straight on to the promised land, but they, they don't do that. You know, before they even left there, they're already... In fact, when they left Egypt, they're already grumbling and complaining. You get through all of Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, and Numbers, and, and, and many of those, they kind of say the same thing. It's just that time frame. Israel's up and down. Joshua comes... After Moses has died, they walk across the Jordan River. And, and even in Joshua, I mean, here, here it is. Can you imagine? And I, I, I'm just wanting to set the stage. Lord speaks to Joshua. Joshua gets the army. They march around the largest city. What, what scholars and, and, and archaeologists have told us, Jericho was the largest city in that area. The most heavily fortified. Uh, they say that the walls were so thick you could raise chariots around the top. And they march around that area six times, one each day, but then on the seventh day they march seven times, they shout, the walls come down, you know the story. Don't you think that if you go and you do the hardest thing first, it ought to make everything that follows easier, right? They, that next, from there, they leave Jericho. Now we understand there was some sin, you, you, can, you, know, you can look at all of that and and, and we know the reason. But the truth is they leave there and they go to a tiny city named Ai. So, so tiny that instead of taking all of the people of Israel, they just took, I think, 3,000 men. And because of, of Achan's sin and stealing the Babylonianish garment and the gold and the silver, God, God kind of messes them up and, and, and that little city de- defeats soundly the Israelites. But that was just a glimpse of what was going to happen in the children of Israel's journey. It's up and down, up and down. We get to the book of Judges, and the book of Judges, uh, chapter 1, I don't know how your Bible reads. I'm going to do a little bit of reading tonight from the English Standard Version. It's my devotional Bible. It's what I've been, I'm studying. I'm writing notes all in it uh, throughout the days. But um, my, my Bible has headings, kind of tells you what's, what's happening. And I don't know if yours is like that. But mine says, before chapter 1 of Judges, the continuing conquest of Canaan. Joshua is still alive, he's old, Joshua is still alive, but, but he's there. And uh, so there, there now, now, now Joshua is, is uh, you know, he, he, he's about to die, and, and they're wondering, what are we going to do, how are we going to go fight the Canaanites, who's going to go up against us, and they fight, and you see all of this, God gives the Canaanites in their hand, and, and, and you just see this conquest of the promised land. But you get to a place, and I have it underlined in my Bible, uh, verse 18 of chapter 1. It says, Judah also captured Gaza with its territory, and uh, Eshcolon with its territory, and Ekron with its territory. And the Lord was with Judah. Look at your neighbor and say, the Lord was with Judah. Now, if the Lord is with you, don't you think you can do it? If the Lord is with you, don't you think you're going to make it? If the Lord is going before you, don't you think everything's going to be okay? And I wish I knew. Because I wish I knew what happened right here. Because it says, and the Lord was with Judah, and he took possession of the hill country. All of the, 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 the mountainous reason, re, regions Judah took care of. But he could not, and this is my Bible, he could not drive out the inhabitants of the plain because they had chariots of iron. Meaning that those that were living on the plains had chariots. They could run faster. They could do more. And I understand that. You can, you, you can read scores of military journals that talk about uh, if you've got stronger weapons or, or different tactics, you might have the upper hand. But hey, God was with you, Judah. I don't think it had anything to do with the iron chariots. There had to be something else. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn there because I'm going to be reading and and, and quoting and paraphrasing a lot of it, but I want you to see it with me. But watch in verse 21. You start seeing, and and, and I know I'm starting slow, but we'll get somewhere in just a moment. But let let me just set the physical before we deal with the spiritual. In verse 21 of Judges chapter 1. But the people of Benjamin did not drive out the Jebusites who lived in Jerusalem. And the Jebusites live with the people of Benjamin in Jerusalem to this day. Uh, If if you go, it says, And the house of Joseph went up against Bethel, and the Lord was with them. But look at verse... 25, and he showed them the way into the city, this was a spy, and they struck the edge of the city with the sword, but they let the spy and his family go, that man went to the land of the Hittites and built the city and called the name Luz, it's there to this day. Now watch, I'm going to read this real quickly, but just catch the common denominator. Manasseh did not drive out the inhabitants of Beth and its villages, uh, and, and there's a bunch of it there. And Ephraim did not drive out the Canaanites who lived in Gazir. And Zebulun did not drive out the inhabitants of Kitron or the inhabitants from Nalol. And Asher did not drive out the inhabitants of Acho or the inhabitants of Sidon. And, and uh, uh, Naphtali did not drive out the inhabitants of the Beth Shemesh or the inhabitants of Beth Anath uh, which lived among the Canaanites. And the Amorites pressed the people of Dan, back into the hill country, and they did not allow them to come down into the plain. Does anybody see a common denominator? I don't have time to tell it to you. You're going to have to take my word and the word of the Bible. But God had told them, He had told Moses, He had told uh, uh, Joshua, He said, when you go into that land that I promise you, I want you to utterly inhabit it. I don't want you to leave anything standing. Don't leave their their Asherah poles, which were like totem pole type things. Don't leave their hills and their groves where they worship gods. Don't leave them there. That's why when you read in Exodus and you read in Deuteronomy and some of those and and Joshua, it seems to be a very bloody thing. And and, and I'm not about to, to try to get into the mindset of God. But the fact is, God told them, kill them all. Because God knew this. If you leave some of the enemy standing, they're going to come back to haunt you later. Now, in fact, let me, let me, let me keep going. Look, look at uh, Judges chapter 2. Now the angel of the Lord went up from Gilgal to Bochum, and he said, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you into the land that I swore to give to your fathers. I said, this is God, God said, I will never break my covenant with you. You shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of the land. You shall break down their altars, but you have not obeyed my voice. What is this that you have done? So now I say, I will not drive them out before you, but they will become thorns in your sides, and their gods shall be a snare unto you. And when the angel of the Lord spoke these words to all the people of Israel, they lifted up their voices and wept. Things you don't eradicate will come back to mess you up later. See, God said, I want you to go in. I'm going to. There's another place in the Word of God that says, I will go before you and, and drive out the inhabitants of the land. There's another place, I think it's in Joshua. I apologize for not knowing the scripture and the verse. But there's a place in Joshua where it says, I'm going send hornets and drive them out. I mean, it's one thing to fight against swords, but can you imagine a God sent swarm of hornets that just discomfit the people that you're sending out and they run away before you even get there? God said, I'm going before you, but I want you to take care of it. But then when they came back and, and God said, well, you didn't eradicate them. You didn't take care of it. So I'm not going to help you anymore. Hmm. Joshua dismisses the people. They all go back to the lands that is their inheritance. But there's still pockets of resistance there. Joshua dies, and the Bible records that incredibly sad verse. And all the generation were gathered unto their fathers, and there arose another generation after them that knew not the Lord or the works he had done for Israel. Okay, so that's, that's where we're at. Everybody, everybody with me so far? God said kill them all. God said eradicate them all. But I just read how many of the tribes did not do that. Now Joshua dies. And you jump straight from there to this. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served Baal's. And they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, that brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods from among the gods of the people who were among them. They bowed down to them. They provoked the Lord to anger. They abandoned the Lord and served Baals and Asheroth. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And he gave them over to plunderers who plundered them. And he sold them into the hand of their surrounding enemies that they could no longer withstand their enemies. And whenever they marched out, the hand of the Lord was against them for harm. As the Lord had warned and the Lord had sworn to them, they were in terrible distress Now I know there was some of them that probably cried out and said God how come nothing's working for me anymore Now the Bible doesn't record this and I'm not trying to put words into his mouth but I kind of wonder if the Lord said well I gave you an opportunity but you didn't completely eradicate some things in in your land, in your promise, in your life and and so I'm not going to help you when they raise up their ugly head and you find that the same people that they did not eradicate the same people they did not completely remove from their promised land is the same people they start following after. That grove God told them to cut down. It was a holy place. And they had, you know, uh, uh, worship up there that was not godly and it was not holy. It, that, that one grove, they said, would well, it be okay if that stays there? It wasn't very long before Israel starts making its way to that same grove and bowing down to those same gods. And you find that over and over and over in the Word of God. The things you don't eradicate will come back to haunt you. You know, I'm convinced that, that this is why when you go into the book of, of 1 Samuel and you see, and I'm not going to take time to tell you the whole story, but you go in the book of Samuel and you see David and Goliath and according to, to the uh, English Standard Version, I love how it kind of reads. It says that David slung the stone and it sunk into the forehead of Goliath and he died. When Goliath, when, when, when David uh, twirled that sling and that stone went, Goliath was dead when it hit him in the forehead. He wasn't knocked out. He wasn't loopy. The word of God says he was dead. But David runs over there and he says, I, I don't know if he's knocked out or not. It could be that he's dead, but I want to make sure. And so David grabs the sword of Goliath and he chops off the head because as far as I know, medical science and all, nobody's ever lived with a chopped off head. We haven't got to that place where we can put it on the battlefield, you know, and bring out the trauma surgeons and they place it back in. I'm kind of convinced that David said, I want to make sure the enemy's defeated. Let me take you to the book of Judges chapter 10. And, and I'm just, I'm just kind of throwing this in This is free The people of the Lord uh, This is uh, chapter 10 verse 10 And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord Saying we have sinned against you We've forsaken our God and served the Baals and the Lord said to the people of Israel, Did I not save you from the Egyptians and the Amorites and the Ammonites and the Philistines and the Sidonians and the Amalekites and the Maonites? And, the, uh, uh, and they cry, you cried out unto me, and I saved you out of their hand. So God said, Do you know all those things I helped you with? Now watch this. This just it hurts. But you've forsaken me and served other gods. Therefore, I will save you no more. Go cry out to the gods you chose. Go cry out to Baal. Go cry out to them. Let them save you in the time of your distress. Now, parents, you're more than welcome to raise your hands if I ask you this question. uh, If you like, have you ever told your children not to do something and they did it anyway? And have you ever looked at them and says, you got what you deserved. I told you not to take that toy to school because you were going to lose it. And you took your favorite toy to school and, and you lost your toy and now you want me to go buy you another one? Nope. That's God. Now you say, Pastor, where are you going with all of this? Well, the Bible says it's simple. Neither give place to the devil. Now, if that, is the, if that is the, what we read in Judges and all that, if that is the physical aspect of life, how much more do you think that principle resonates within the spiritual? If you and I have been brought out of sin... If you and I through the repentance and the baptism of Jesus name and the infilling of the Holy Ghost if God brought you out of sin what is the verse that says therefore if any man be in Christ he is a new creature what does it say? The old things are passed away behold all things become new if God has saved you from a sinful place he intends that there was something that the blood eradicated and now you can walk without any fear of that raising its ugly head Bible says I am crucified with Christ All throughout the the New Testament, and especially the epistles, you find phrases like that. I'm crucified with Christ. What that means is that there was a death that needed to happen in my spiritual life where I let the old me die. I let the old natures and the old lusts and the old things that were there, I let them die on an altar. And the idea is don't resurrect them. But just as Israel walked into their promise and did not eradicate everything completely, so I have seen in my 37 years of living on this earth, I have seen it in my own life, and I have seen it in the lives of far too many people, that there are uh, times that we don't take the old man and completely eradicate him. Instead, it rears its ugly head. And pretty soon we find ourselves going back like a pig to the mud or a dog to its vomit. And we go back to the things that should have been buried with Christ. We live in a world today where, pardon me for this reference, but Forrest Gump, His best friend was named Bubba Blue. Bubba was from Louisiana. And Bubba knew all the ways to cook shrimp. He said shrimp was like the fruit of the sea. You can barbecue it, boil it, broil it, bake it, saute it. There's shrimp kebabs and shrimp creole and shrimp gumbo and pan fried and deep fried and stir fried and pineapple shrimp and living shrimp, coconut shrimp, pepper shrimp, shrimp soup, shrimp stew, shrimp, salad shrimp, potato shrimp, burger shrimp, sandwich, and that's about it. There's a lot of people in life that that's how they feel. They feel like they know everything about God. They know everything there is about church. And so they, they think that they're, I call them Bubba Christians. You can meet them on the street and they'll spout verses left and right. And they'll do all of that. They'll tell you I know everything. They'll Quote, the Apostles' Creed, they'll tell you he was conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered upon his Pilate, crucified, died, buried, descended into hell. Third day he rose again and he ascended into heaven. He sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty and he's going to come to judge the living and the dead. That sounds good. But I'm going to tell you right now, it's not what you say you know. It's what you do. We, we're, we're, we're getting out of, of it right now But summer and, and is my favorite time Because you get real tomatoes Tomatoes that were grown on a vine Until they turned red Not tomatoes that were raised in a greenhouse And this, you can read it, but, but it, it And so you, you take that, that tomato And they, they pick them green in the greenhouse And they bring them and they spray them with CO2 gas And it turns them red instantly that's why you can have a red tomato that doesn't taste very good. It tastes mushy and, 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 and it's just not right. Because things take time to mature. It takes work to live for God. It takes work to walk after the Spirit and not after the flesh. And so I, I want to bring it to this. And, and I know, I've, I've looked through sermons I've preached this year. I've looked through sermons that, that Brother Keith Perryman, our assistant pastor, has preached through this year. I've seen sermons that our other ministers in the church and guests that have walked through, and there has been a theme. And I think that, that when, whenever we believe that our, our preachers, when they stand behind this pulpit, they have prayed, they have fasted, they've asked, Lord, what am I going to preach? And if preachers start saying the same things, I kind of think God's wanting to make sure we get the point. Remember, I, I, they, they, they went into the promised land and they didn't kill everything. They didn't eradicate everything. And it came back to bite them. The easiest way that I can tell whether a person is living for God or not living for God is to look do you have the fruit of the Spirit or do you have the works of the flesh? Now, people can like it and people cannot like it, but it really doesn't matter. That's the only way that I can truly know. Because I've had a lot of people tell me a a pretty good story and found out later they were just blowing smoke. I've had people that looked good. But when you begin to examine, so I'm going to real quickly, one more time. One more time in the year 2016. Let me go over those works of the flesh real quick. And then let me ask you a question. It starts out, you, you, you can read it there and, and it's, it's found in uh, Galatians chapter 5. It says the works of the flesh are manifest. It's these, adultery, fornication, uncleanliness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings and murders and drunkenness and revilings and such the like which I tell you before. And I've told you in the time past, those that do those things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Of God, the, the uh, Paul as he begins to write, he starts off and and he, and he, he talks. He lists four of them, and they're, they're, they they tend to be uh, uh, sins of immorality. It's 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 adultery, it's fornication, it's impurity, it's filthiness, it's lasciviousness, or debauchery, or wantonness, and 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 you know those are bad. The Greek word for many of those, uh, uh, especially the fornication adultery is pornea. It's pornography. It's that unlawful lust. It's any and all illicit uh, desires or relationships. Now, I'm going to just be honest because that's what's good for a preacher to do. Uh, when I married my wife and I said that, that till death do us part, I meant that. And, and I can stand here today and say I've never had an affair. That's one thing in my life that I've killed off. When I said that I, 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 I give myself to you and you alone, I've done good in that department. But you don't stop there and say I've conquered the flesh you got to keep going. you got to examine every hill and valley. You've got to examine every grove and temple of Baal because it goes a little further. It goes into religious sins, idolatry, the worship of pagan gods, witchcraft comes from the Greek word pharmacia, which is a way that they would take drugs and they would create trances and you could see all of that in in the idolatrous worship. And, And guess what? I've not done that. I've never bowed down to a false... Uh, God, I, I, I've never taken a drug and got into some trance so that I could enter into some witchcraft-type thing. But he didn't stop there. He goes and ate more. Hatred. That feeling of enmity and opposition between people. Variance, that's discord. It's strife, it's debating, it's quarrelling. It goes into emulations, which is comes from a Greek word zeo or zealous, which means to boil, to simmer, to glow. It, it it's to 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 you know, just burn with that envy, burn with that jealousy until you 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 act on it and and, and you get mad at someone. There's anger that you can burn with anger until you take its wrath. It means uh the, the Greek word is thumos, which is to breathe hard, it's to be wroth, it's to grab the steering wheel until you're about ready to break it and you're shaking, and it's that that emotion that may have been repressed but comes erupting out in an outburst of temper or fit of rage or strife, meaning to to create factions and contentions and strife to fracture things seditions which means to divide and heresies which means to have divisions of groups it's not necessarily a theological term it's envyings, envyings ill will and jealousy and then it goes into the sin of alcohol drunkenness and revilings those that 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 drunken carous, uh, carousing of an inhibited person uninhibited person that's lost control and I've never been drunk. I can check that one off the list. Why did Paul have to do those eight in the middle? Because Paul understood this. If you leave some things alive, they'll come back to haunt you later. The works of the flesh, the reason Paul did that is he was telling you every one of those needs to be put under the blood and they ought never rear their ugly head ever again. But I've seen a lot of people I've seen a lot of people that were, were willing to, to, to make sure that the big sins, you know, like adultery, the big sins like being drunk, the big sins like, like being a drug user and, and, and all of that and witchcraft and idolatry, I, they were willing to let the big sins die. They never took play. They never took care of that anger. They never took care of that jealousy. They never took care of those things. So I'm asking you tonight, things that you don't eradicate come back to harm you later. This is not something you can mess around with. This is not something you can play with. I was reading of a man, his name was Donald Gee, Donald Gee, and when he was young, he so wanted to grow a tomato plant, and so he... He tried to grow it, but that summer it was bad. The rain didn't fall when it needed to and the sun was either too hot or too cold and his tomato plants never even got little green tomatoes. One day though, he woke up and his, to- he had never even had a little baby green tomato, but one day he woke up and overnight he had fat red tomatoes all over his plants. And he was so happy until he got close and realized that his mother had went and bought red tomatoes and tied them on the plant so he would feel good. There's some things you can't fake. Or, or it's like the, the young boy who who he and his his friend they, they would crawl out of his bedroom when he was punished when his dad would send him up to his room and say you need to go to your room you know you're not you're, 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 you're grounded he would crawl out of his window and climb down the old fruit tree that was right there and and he could go and run around all night long and climb back up and didn't think his dad ever knew his dad told him one day he said I got to cut down that fruit tree it hasn't borne fruit in a long 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 time and and, and so it's just not good for anything. I'm going to cut it down. Well, man, that little boy and his friend, the next day they bought a bushel of apples and during the night they tied those apples all over those barren branches. And the next morning that man came out of the house and he looked up and he said, Hey, honey, remember that tree that hasn't had any fruit for years? It's amazing. It has apples all over it. What a miracle. Especially since it's a pear tree. There's some things you can't I want to ask you today, I don't have anything deep, I don't have anything to make you swing from the chandeliers, I just have a simple question, is there anything of that old nature you've not let God take care of? When people backslide, they don't backslide because they get demon possessed and pulls them out of church they backslide because there was something that should have been under the blood, should have been laid on that altar that you should have said, Lord, help me with this. And later on in their life, it kind of begins to rear its head. Starts slow. Oh, I know that that when they drove out the the, the people in their their territories, those children of Israel, the the 12 tribes, when they drove the people out and and, and they would leave that little group there or they wouldn't go mess with that city. I know that city the next day didn't come and try to get them to bow to Baal. Start small. But pretty soon, the things that they should have taken care of came back to destroy them. And all you have to do is read the Old Testament to know that there was never a time very long oh there may be 40 years of, uh, of them living for God maybe 80 years but it was always an up and down because they had left some things in the promised land they should have let God eradicate they didn't have to depend on their own strength God said I'm going to go before you I'll drive out the inhabitants of the land all they had to do was do what the Lord said It's the same problem with Saul. Saul, the Lord told Samuel, and Samuel told Saul, he said, go, I want you to go take care of that that city, and I I want you to kill, I want you to destroy it. They've been a thorn in my flesh. Israel should have taken care of it in in Joshua and Judges, but they didn't do it. So Saul, I want you to do it. Don't leave anything alive. Not, Not a person, not an animal. Don't do it. Saul takes care of it, but when Samuel comes walking back, he hears the bleeding of goats and sheep and cattle, and he sees the king of that that area is walking with him, and he is alive, and Saul tries to rectify it and tries to to justify it by saying, you know, well, I I kept all the animals alive so we could offer a sacrifice, and I I kept the king alive so that we could, you know, really kind of torture him and, you know, really show that we're in control. Ah, Samuel, he... grieved, he took a sword, he took care of the king he took care of the animals himself because he said there's things that you leave alive that will come back to home that Galatians chapter 5 it talks about the works of the flesh but it also talks about the fruit of the spirit when you read it you need to start examining is there any of those things that I've not yet put down I think too many times we, we come to an altar and we knock our flesh unconscious and we we knock those things that that we struggle with we knock them unconscious and we're good for a while but pretty soon they they rear back up that's why he said i'm crucified with Christ because when I became new everything old passed away you want to walk after the Spirit. In fact, Paul said, "I, I, I sometimes it, 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 it's like I die daily because Paul said I'm never going to get to the place where I've probably accomplished it all. I've, I'm, I'm striving, I'm pressing like a runner, straining to the end, in, in you know that 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 end. I'm pushing. I've not already have, have obtained. I'm not perfect. Paul said. So every day I'm looking at those things." And I'm saying in Jesus' name, whatever it takes for me to get away from the things that doth so easily beset me. That's why coming to church is so important in Bible reading and those spiritual disciplines. Because that's what helps you eradicate those areas of our life that tend to rear up later to knock us down. Hallelujah. I want you to stand today. I want you to think for a moment. I'm not asking anybody to raise their hand. I'm not asking anybody to say anything out loud. It only is between you and the Lord, and there's 100 plus people here, so we're all having this conversation. What are the things that we don't get rid of? What are the things that we don't completely eradicate, we don't completely kill? What are the areas in our life that we get soft on They're going to be the ones that you're going to fight with and struggle with later. You would do good today to cast all of those at the feet of Jesus and say, Lord, I'm ready to be an overcomer. I'm ready not to just knock these out. I'm ready, Lord, for it to be done. This blood of the Lamb to cover each and every one of my struggles. God, in Jesus' name, I'm going to open these altars. You need to have a personal conversation with the Lord. You can do it in your seat. You can do it at the altar. But you need to talk to Him right now. Let Him show you that grove in your life that you didn't take care of. Let Him show you that place in your life that you've not completely cut down and knocked down. And it's, it's still there. It, it might be hidden. It might be pressed down. It might be behind the corner. It might be behind the, 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 the trees. But let Him show you the things in your life you need to give to Him right now. So that you can walk into the promise without worrying about those things cropping up later because the things you don't eradicate now are going to fight you later. God bless.